cancer patients are often faced with circumstances related to their disease that aren't openly discussed. In Tabuti, the Fight CRC podcast, we delve into those topics that are sometimes considered controversial, trending, or just plain interesting. To suggest a podcast topic, email answers at fightcrc.org. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining the Fight Colorectal Cancer Tabuti podcast. My name is Sharon Worrell, and I'm the Senior Manager of Education and Research here at Fight CRC. And today I'm really excited to um, welcome Jamie Atten, who is a stage four survivor. He's on the podcast today. He's also one of this year's Fight Colorectal Cancer Ambassadors. And he's also the founder and executive director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute um, at the Wheaton College Graduate School. So Jamie, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. You have a a really interesting story, and I I would love if you could just give a little bit of background to the listeners, how you came to find out about your cancer diagnosis and the experience that you've had, um, how that's kind of shaped where you're at today. Sure thing. Well, you know, I was diagnosed at the age of 35 with stage four colorectal cancer. And about a year prior to the diagnosis, I'd been having some feelings of discomfort, uh, just not quite feeling like myself, and ended up going to my my doctor who referred me to a specialist. And after talking with the specialist, he said that all I needed to do was to add some fiber to my diet, and if some of the complications came back, to come and see him again. And so unfortunately, the side effects really didn't come back for another year. And at that point, that's when we found out that I had colon cancer that had spread um, from the colon into the pelvis area uh, at that point, and then ended up going through a year-long series of treatments involving initially a summer of oral therapy, um, chemo twice a day, and radiation daily. And then after I started to kind of bounce back a little bit from that, had the major surgery to remove all the cancer. And then just as I started to kind of recover from that, went into six more months of uh, drip chemo. And so I'm very fortunate to be able to share that I am now uh, just over five years, uh, no evidence of disease. I'm a psychologist by training, so a counseling psychologist. And when I first finished graduate school, my first job straight out of school was to work as a professor at University of Southern Miss. And I had moved there because I wanted to study rural uh, mental health disparities. But then just six days later after moving in, and Hurricane Katrina struck our community. And so my plans really shifted. I, I sometimes joke that I was in the wrong place at the right time because that's what I've been doing for my career ever since. And specifically focus on trying to understand how going through major mass tragedies impact people's disaster mental health. And then also trying to understand what types of factors help cultivate resilience among those who are facing, you know, extreme adverse situations. And then kind of fast forward eight years later is when I was diagnosed with colon cancer, but this time it was like the disaster was striking inward. You know, when Katrina hit our community and went over our home, our family was able to evacuate. But when cancer struck, there was no evacuating that time. And so as I went through the course of my treatment, after having studied disasters all around the globe, including a number of humanitarian crises, started to realize that some of the things that I'd been studying in the lives of others was now starting to play out in my own personal life. That's really fascinating. So 
I mean, it sounds to me like the experience of having a cancer diagnosis and going through treatment could be viewed as a, you know, like an internal personal disaster that you, you know, you were forced to face. I mean, it wasn't a decision just as facing a a natural disaster. You don't decide to go through that, but it just is something that happens to you. And then you have to kind of work through that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the, the language for even recognizing that it was a personal disaster for me actually came from my oncologist. So it was during one of our first consultations when he was going over the, the formal results of all the testing and everything. And as you might imagine, as he was sharing those results with me, that I started to get choked up and started to tear up and was having a hard time focusing on anything else he said after I heard the word cancer. Um, and in his kind of best bedside manner, which maybe he needs to tweak it a little bit, but he's like, well, you know, he tried to ask me like what I do for a living. So I shared about how I direct a disaster research center and he kind of pauses and says, well, you know, you're in for your own personal disaster. And that was actually helpful to me though, because having spent, you know, at that point, uh, eight years now, it's been 15 years that I've been studying disasters that I know that there's kind of phases that occur, that there's different strategies that we can utilize to cultivate resilience. Not saying that I did those things well in my own cancer journey, but it definitely helped me to have a better sense of what was happening um, in my life. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting perspective also as, as a psychologist, going through an experience like this, even though you have the tools facing it yourself, did you find that it was a little bit challenging to use those tools that you, that you had studied about? Oh, absolutely. You know, it, you know, I've heard sometimes people say things, um, you know, like one, somebody just the other day said something to one of my kids about, oh, it must be nice having a dad who's a psychologist. And they kind of quipped back of, that's why I'm going to need a psychologist. Someday, <laughs> right? But just yeah. because we've studied or have an area of expertise doesn't always mean that we do things well when it hits our own lives. Right. You know, so there were times, though, that I do feel fortunate where you know, some of these lessons that I had learned, I would remember to pause and you know, to try different ways of coping. But at the same time, it was very difficult. And struggled. Um, And in a book that I wrote recently, I've I've tried to be very open that I did not, nor do I presently have my entire act together. Like that's still something that, uh, you know, I'm just to be open. I'm still doing therapy. um, uh, Just restarted again, just because of some of the challenges that's associated with coping with the long-term impact of cancer. Yeah. Any advice that you can give to the listeners out there who are perhaps just being diagnosed and just at the start of facing this experience from your perspective as, as both a cancer survivor yourself and also a psychologist and also an expert who, who studied disasters and the, the psychological effects of that? What kind of advice can you give someone who's just at the very beginning of, of this experience? You know, I think one of the things I would really encourage individuals that have been recently diagnosed is to truly lean into community. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's been, if I think about my own life, you know, after I was diagnosed, um, just the way my coworkers and family and friends all came around and supported me, uh, just how important that was. You know, just as an example, uh, my at the college that I work at, they had these little blue bracelets that had my name on it that they were wearing in solidarity. And I remember the first time of seeing that, and just how meaningful. And in fact. 
even as I talk to you today, six years later, in my backpack is that bracelet. I keep it with me wherever I go as a reminder that even now that I'm still not alone in my cancer journey. So I really want to encourage folks to, to lean into others that they can trust with their experience and what they're going through. And at the same time with that, leaning in to recognize that oftentimes when we're struggling, we don't necessarily always want community, but that's normally when we need it the most. Oh, interesting. And yeah, that's a, that's a really powerful message. Also, when you were talking about your bracelets, I got like goosebumps on my, on my arm. I mean, that feeling of community and solidarity, I, I love that term, especially like it can be really very powerful. So thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah. And you know, I, it was actually hard for me to accept that blue bracelet at first and to accept help from others. I remember early on in my treatments that a colleague from the campus that I work at came to visit and was just asking how I was doing and, you know, if there was anything particular that I was kind of struggling with. And I had shared that early on, one of the hardest things for me was to shift into becoming the helpee, you know, that my career and a lot of my identity has been based on being the helper that in other situations, when others are evacuating, you know, like after Hurricane Gustav, I remember everybody else is leaving and I'm one of the few ones going into the disaster zone to help lead a response. So to make that shift was really hard and it took some humility, but I'm to this day grateful because I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that it's through our, our wounds that we really experience our relationships in a much deeper way. Whereas oftentimes, I think looking back, I tended to use my wounds as walls to keep people at arm's distance. Mm -hmm. In your experience, so you, you mentioned it's been a few years out since your initial diagnosis and, and ending of treatment. You are what typically people would call a cancer survivor. And according to a lot of um, organizations, the, the term survivor really is used or can be used from the time someone is actually diagnosed with their cancer until through the remainder of his or her life. So, I mean, technically speaking, the way that it's being used is, you know, it's, it's, it's really very broad, but we see a lot of questions around people that are newly diagnosed, not, not feeling like they fit that survivor mm -hmm. term or people that are on maintenance therapy that, that will be on therapy for, for a very long time. I mean, those, those people are also, we find some struggle with that term. How do you come to see the terminology that we're currently using to talk about cancer and cancer survivorship versus terms like cancer patients or, or others that we're, we're mm -hmm. hearing? Yeah, you know, I, I think the way that we talk about our experiences, especially in terms of cancer, is really important because our words matter. And our words help us. It's more than just a label that these things when we're talking about using words like survivor, it's how we are making meaning of our experience and even sometimes our own identities of what this means for us in our lives. And for me, I'm, I'm glad to see on one front the shift to more positive language like survivor. So for example, I remember early on in my career, um, so I've been around long enough now as a psychologist that there was kind of a debate, um, probably goodness, 15, 20 years ago, about do we say, you know, victims or survivors, right, of somebody who's been through a trauma. And until I went through Katrina, I didn't really understand it, but I realized that using the term survivor uh, was empowering and had a more positive connotation to it. 
that yes, we're going through this situation that's really difficult, but you're still here. Um, and so there was hope in that type of language. But at the same time, when I went through my cancer experience, I found there were times that I struggled with the word survivor. And even as I talk to you today, there's times that I feel comfortable using that language and another day I may not feel comfortable. And the part of the, you know, the fact that there is debate and the fact that some people are uncomfortable with the words and sometimes people aren't sure what words to use, I'd actually pose that that's a, a good thing overall. And so let me explain that. Yeah. I think it's good in the fact that it means we've not found a one size fits all yet, right? So the fact that we're grappling with it should tell us as a community, as a cancer community, that we need more ways to talk about our cancer experience, not fewer ways. Mm-hmm. You know, so for example, as a psychologist, if I'm working with somebody who's been through a trauma, you know, I, I would not call them, you know, that, oh, you have post-traumatic, you know, you are post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, or that you are a survivor of that. I, I would often, you know, I might include that in my diagnosis. So, so from a healthcare perspective, I'm all for having better, more precise language and scientific nomenclature. But when it comes to the experience of the person who is going through cancer, I think we need to really empower and learn how to listen to each other. And I think a good place to start is offering up terms like survivor but also to be able to say, here's some other ways that people talk about their experience. And then to ask the person who's getting treatment, what type of language would you want me to use when we're talking about each other, right? That, you know, as a therapist, kind of going back to that example again, I oftentimes will ask clients, like when I'm getting to know them, you know, in terms of like, um, race or ethnicity, for example, I'm not trying to just force them into a box, but I want to give them room to be able to share with me about how they understand their experience. And I think it would behoove us to do the same when it comes to talking about cancer. That's a really great perspective. And one that um, I, I think is really helpful for me also to consider I mean, everyone's experience is different. And as we see with kind of this discussion in and of itself, that the term survivor doesn't really, you know, land for everyone, but asking people like, how do you self-identify? Like, what term do you want me to use for you? And just really like, where do you feel today? And having those discussions, I think is, is really important. Um, And I think you're absolutely right. More terms and more options rather than just a one size fits all kind of a box is hopefully where we're going so that people feel like they're seen and they're heard and they're represented um, in the conversation. Um, Exactly. And I think that part that you just mentioned is really so critical to this part of the discussion that we're having right now that in some ways, what I think some of the conflict is coming from is that at least I have felt this like that almost like we're being asked, like, you have to use this language. Like, this is the correct way to talk about your experience. And that I think it can create some guilt and shame for some individuals if they feel like they can't use that. Or it can be quite upsetting because you're forcing someone into a label that just doesn't capture their experience. So, you know, just like I said earlier, I think it is good that we have empowering language 
and model that, but we also want to give permission for people to self-describe and that they are, it's okay and it's normal to one day maybe feel like a survivor and the next day to feel like a patient. And the next day, I just want to be Jamie who wants to get together and talk about, are the Cubs going to you know, win the World Series again? And I don't want to think about cancer. Don't use that word in front of me today. Like those are okay options to have. So what kind of recommendations would you give to someone who has cancer who's, let's say, I mean, in, in our fight colorectal cancer resources, for example, I mean, we use the term, we use a variety of terms, but we, we definitely use the term survivor, um, you know, people with cancer, people experience, with going through a cancer experience. Like we use all these terms. Now, what would you recommend if they're, they're reading resources? And maybe it's fight colorectal cancer, maybe it's, you know, another organization, but if they're coming across terms that consistently don't feel right for them, but they need those resources or, or in general, yeah. those resources are good. Like how do you, how do you accept the resource if you're not really feeling connected to the terminology? Well, you know, one of the things that I, I might encourage folks to think about would be, and it's not ideal, but to try to substitute the way that you're feeling in that moment as you're reading it. And to also recognize that like, for instance, like I, I know the, the group here at Fight CRC that you all aren't trying to restrict anyone to a label. It's that this is the best language we seem to have at the moment. And that's, we're trying to support and meet people where they're at. So that comes across to me very much from Fight CRC. But I have encountered other groups where when I've read a resource that it almost kind of felt like if I didn't use or identify the terminology that they used, that I was in the wrong. Um, and I think some of it comes from the tone of how we present that information that we do so with a bit of humility, but if somebody is going through cancer and they're encountering a resource that just doesn't seem to fit in terms of language, you know, do your best to insert the word kind of mentally, uh, when you come across whatever term that other group has chosen, or I even one time was having a day where, um, you know, I study resilience and I was reading a resource on resilience and I, the working kind of like lay definition of resilience is bouncing back, right? Like a, a common example is like you put a beach ball underwater and it bounces back um, after it's been pushed underwater. And I realized I don't feel resilient at all. There is nothing about bouncing back in my experience today. And so I actually just went through and crossed out on this whole document, the word resilience. And I didn't know what term to put. So I ended up just drawing, you know, an X over it and read it that way. Uh, but then later went back through and read it and was like, okay, I don't feel resilient today, but I feel stronger. And I wrote that. And then several times I reworked that thing and then eventually got to the point I could read it with the word resilience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, this whole discussion is really fascinating. I think that it seems so like it, it is so nuanced and the words that we choose, I mean, they, they really have a lot of power. You know, one of the things that I have wondered, you know, you see examples um, of how different groups will sometimes use like di different, um, identify different gender pronouns. Mm -hmm. And I've wondered, will we ever get to a point where we might be able to present different options and to be able to learn from that example, you know, maybe not in the same way per se, but can we learn from other groups who are further along and understanding the importance of the power of language mm -hmm. and to learn from uh, others that are kind of before us 
And then the other thing is I think we really need to have that conversation openly as a community to find out what are the different types of words that people utilize. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know that it'll ever be narrowed down just to like four or five. I think that's a good place to start, mm -hmm. but then to still let people know that like we've always got to have that kind of like other in a line, right? That it's up to that person to be able to define it for themselves. You know, in the same way that, you know, if I'm working with somebody in a disaster zone and they talk about how they feel blue or how they feel like they're stuck in a cave, I know they're talking about clinical major depression, but I'm not going to correct them on that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to use their language to describe what they're going through. Yeah. And I think we need to do more of that in healthcare because part of the issue, I think, is that we're prescribing to people about how they have to talk to them about themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not talking about like ignoring the medical issues, right. but we need to just give freedom. You know, I, I think if you are the person that has not been, you know, directly impacted by cancer, maybe it's your friend or a loved one that is going through cancer, to ask them, you know, just take that risk and ask, like, how do you want, what type of language is helpful for me to use? You know, I realize that can feel risky, but from being on the other side of it, that's really meaningful when you have people actually ask the, that type of a question. The other part is if you're on the other side, like if you are the person who's uh, experiencing or you have gone through cancer to try as best as you can to have a benefit of the doubt, you know, that everybody's struggling. Now, at the same time that I say that, if somebody uses a term that's frustrating, let it be known that you're frustrated. But, you know, so where I guess where I'm going with that is it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to correct people, but also know that you're going to need your energy. So, try to do, you know, give people that benefit of the doubt. I think it goes a long way. Well, Jamie, thank you so much um, for your time today. Great discussion. And for those that are listening, Jamie also has a couple blogs on the Fight CRC website, um, kind of around similar topics, um, psychosocial health and, and more um, that you should check out. He's a, he's a really, um, really wonderful writer but Jamie, thank you so much again uh, for your time today and for, for talking to us about your experience and the language of cancer. Oh, you're, you're very welcome and really appreciate the chance to connect today. And just I'll leave on a final thought, which you know, since we've talked a lot about the power of language, that I think really at the heart of all of this, though, is to remember that our presence says more than our words could ever say. Thank you. Thank you for joining our Tabuti podcast. Remember that this information is for educational purposes only and all medical questions should be directed to your doctor. Mm -hmm.